What a customer was eating five years ago is completely different now. So you've got to stay sharp on that market front. Because food waste really starts at the farm and then it finishes at the end of a scraped plate. This is the Food and Beverage Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. All right. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Food and Beverage Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. Today's show features two very interesting elements, and I'm excited to get to bring them to you. The first of which is an interview with Federico Tischler, and he is the chef and owner of White Envelope Arepa Bar in Baltimore, Maryland. And we're going to talk about uh, how food can be a communicator of culture and why he wanted to open a restaurant in the first place and some of the people that influenced him to do so, but also just the responsibility that food has and that chefs have to communicate culture with food. Uh, Because a lot of people might never get to visit Venezuela, they might never go, they might never have an interaction with Venezuela other than stepping foot inside of his restaurant. So what does the food represent and how is he able to communicate those things simply through cuisine? And so we're going to talk about that coming up on the show today. He's going to join us from his restaurant. So it's a little bit noisy in the background, but uh, you know, the life of a chef, not a lot of time to really take to talk to people like me. So I totally understand Federico joining us from White Envelope Arepa Bar there in Baltimore, Maryland today. And uh, if you're a little bit hungry, this is not going to do anything to help uh, because he describes some of the food that he makes and it sounds pretty amazing. So that is going to be the first feature on the show today. For the spotlight topic, our correspondent Sean Heath is going to take a look at CBD oil and its use in food and whether or not restaurants can and should be using it as part of their food offerings. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. He dives into a little bit more of the background behind CBD oil and explains the nuances of it and how it differentiates uh, from some of the other substances and maybe dispels some myths that are out there about CBD oil. So we're going to have that conversation as well coming up on the show. So it's going to be an exciting episode of the show. I'm very happy you've tuned in for it. Without further ado, let's get to that interview with Federico Tischler and dive into Venezuelan culture and the cuisine that he has brought to the Baltimore area. Coming up next here on the Market Scale Food and Beverage Podcast. All right, joining me now here on the podcast is Federico Tischler. He's the chef and owner of White Envelope Arepa Bar. Federico, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today, man? (laughs) Good, perfect. Thank you so much. Very, very good. Well, uh, I wanted to start off by asking you just how you decided to be a chef in the first place. What made you want to pursue this career path? Well, I know that everybody that uh, is a chef or a cook and always talk about that somebody in the family uh, push you to, to be part of that, but uh, maybe it's like a cliche, but coming from an Italian uh, family raised by a grandma that cook amazing. And so it was like very obvious that the being there, the cooking uh, was my passion. So I started different different careers before getting into the uh, gastronomy uh, professional. Um, at the last career they studied was anthropology and it was very related with how gastronomy, how alimentation can change society. So I had that in mind and then when I started uh, being involved as a cook, uh, I realized that 
it's very important how um, having good alimentation uh, can change your life and can also change the way of living and that's why it's so important for so I made a, a girl that at the end told my like my master of something she was French and she teach me how to not only cook but also to be curious and to try to question everything not only the recipes but also the way of eating the way of serving the food so it was very nice to not only feel that you are uh, studying a career uh, and, and learning how to do recipes but also uh, everything more related with cultural um, reading trying to learn different languages uh, getting involved with different activities like music or uh, more cultural things right right uh, because in your mind, does, does food really uh, communicate a, a culture? Um, you know, because there's, there's movies, there's music, but food and cuisine yeah. is really a massive way that cultures can learn about one another and you can uh, try to understand people that maybe you have never, you know, been to the country, but you get to try the food and you understand a little bit about the culture. Yeah, yeah, that's very important when you, when you meet different cultures and especially uh, through the food and you the way of they living uh, and the gastronomy is part of that the way you eat the way you, you serve in fact even the way of if you sit down in a table sharing the uh, the food with different people mm -hmm. uh, especially with your uh, your loved ones and your family that it's gonna make a big difference of yourself of a person of yourself in a society so that's why I think it's very important to take a time at least once a day to sit down with your uh, loved ones and share the food. That's really important, especially if you sit down in a, uh, in a table and try not to use phones or, or other things to distract you. Right. And try just the food and, I mean, just the love to, to share. Absolutely. That, that's probably something that's missing nowadays in our lives. Yeah. Oftentimes people don't sit down enough and really share a meal with one another uh, without distractions yeah. of TV, food and things, or excuse me, TV, phones and things along those lines. Yeah. And also we also, we use a lot of the excuse that we don't have to do it. And it's not true. I mean, it's a, it's a way of, you need just to organize yourself and take mm -hmm. your time. That's, I think it's a very important part of your life. Um, at least, I think at least once a day, you, you need to sit down and uh, use like a regular process and everything and have a decent meal. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned that it was your Italian grandmother that really uh -huh. got you into, into cooking, but you're cooking uh, Venezuelan food right now. So yeah, explain yeah. how you came to uh, be, be serving uh, arepa and, and where that came from. Okay. Well, I, I'm coming from an Italian family, uh, raised in Venezuela. With, and then when I decided to study, start, uh, like almost everybody started uh, learning cooking from French recipes and with French techniques and everything. But after many years, and then I moved to Europe and, and worked in different countries in Europe. And then I realized that there was a big part of me that wanted to do something related with the roots and related with the simple things of life. Um, for us in Venezuela, arepa is a very traditional bread. It's a cornbread that we have in uh, for at least 2,000 years. And it comes from the northeast of Venezuela, just in front of Trinidad y Tobago. Um, even with the start, with the name, uh, it re refers with the corn and the relation with the sun. 
So it's very important, that's why it's rounded, that's why it's, uh, the origin is white or, or yellow because of corn. But always we open it and fill or stuff with our, um, I mean, with foreign stuff. But at the end it's like you put inside the, the little bread our culture and it has traveled with us for many, many years. So at the end the arepa has been like a vehicle of our culture. So when I came to the States and then after I opened up a Venezuelan restaurant, I decided to like came back to the roots and trying to change the image of something that is really simple, like, like an arepa. And that all the time is like served with just ham and cheese or scrambled eggs. So I realized that it, it was very versatile, the bread. You can um, mix, the, mix it with different doughs or different grains in the dough elevate a little bit of upskill a little bit the bread mm -hmm. and change the, the concept that is just like a street food. So at the end we can have like a real whole meal in just a piece of cornbread. Uh, more or less like the Mexican has been doing in the last uh, maybe 20 years in, in the States, mm -hmm. introducing the taco and changing the way of seeing the tortillas, just a piece of uh, flat bread and adding different elements, uh, transforming into a very that's what we want to do with arepa. Yeah, absolutely. I, it sounds amazing. I've never had arepa, so I need to change sure, that. I know, sure. I know, I know. I need to at some point. Um, but do you, when you think about it, do you feel a certain responsibility to represent your culture well with food? Um, do you feel pressure in that way? Because uh, a lot of people might never get to go to Venezuela, might not know much about the culture of the food, except for when they go inside your restaurant. So do you feel that, do you feel that uh, responsibility or pressure? Well, it's our responsibility, but not a pressure. I feel like mm -hmm. we are doing and we try to do all the time things, having fun, and we try to, to show that to the people that came to, to try our food, that it's not only a piece of bread or the food that we are trying to offer, but it's like an experience offer. Um, like we want to transfer to you the feeling of what we are as a Venezuelan, um, while living in a tropical country with a perfect weather, um, having a lot of music around us uh, with a lot of fruits and having like a very easygoing life. Um, we can show you that through the food and through the river. So it's not, it's more like a, um, yeah, it's like a responsibility, but uh, we take it in a very serious, but in a very happy and funny way. Absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned just the, the culture of, of Venezuela, but I would, I would imagine that, uh, uh, that you're kind of transporting people because your, your restaurant's located in Baltimore, Maryland, so uh, it's not quite the same culture and style there in, in, in Baltimore. So you're kind of taking people on a journey of sorts when they walk through the doors of your restaurant. Yeah, that's, that's what we want to do since the very beginning. Uh, that's why we also place all the names of the Repa with... Spanish words, trying to use um, names that refer to cultural things in Venezuela or, or even like just songs, names that we grew up with that, like maybe some Rolling Stone songs or stuff like that, and matching up with our culture. So since the very beginning, we, we didn't want to do something like really traditional in Venezuela, but because there's not enough Venezuelan people in, in Baltimore, and mm -hmm. we realized that if we want to introduce our flavors and our food, our culture, we want to adapt it to the people, but also trying to be more and to also adapt it to the modern times and 
trying to transform everything into more uh, fun. Sure. So, what made you choose Baltimore? Why did you uh, Why did you open a restaurant in Baltimore? Well, I was working in Baltimore. Uh, mm -hmm. Like four years ago, a woman called me the, to open a Venezuelan restaurant, and it was a challenge. It was very nice, but also working in that restaurant, uh, some friends that were developing in a different area of the city uh, called me because they wanted to have an arepas in this new project, and also well, I. I felt like it was a really nice opportunity to not only develop this new area and help them to, to transform a little piece of the, the city, but also use that channel to introduce our flavors and our food with something really simple as a, as a piece of cornbread that is the arepa. So it was a challenge and it still is a challenge. Mm -hmm. we, we have been open for almost three years and it's very nice to, to, to feel the people uh, how they describe the new, these new flavors how they describe having for the first time a, a, a piece of cornbread um, also all the elements that we we put in, into uh, the arepas or, or as a size or snacks or so, stuff like that that we care every details and we put our passion to all we do so um, it's, it's very simple it's, it's at, at the end, it's comfort food, it's finger food. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to, to transform that, that comfort of finger food should be more, much more than just uh, something that is going to be messy because you, you're going to be like, spoiling your hands and everything, but should be also fun and you at the end, you, that is, you feel like you're going to have a real nice, uh, decent food. Make all this always from the scratch. Right, right. Now, have you ever opened a restaurant before, or is this the first time that you've, you've no, opened no, a restaurant? No, no, I, I have opened different restaurants uh -huh. here in the States and also in Venezuela. Okay. So, what, yeah. how was this experience of opening this particular restaurant different than in the past? And did you learn things from previous restaurants that you opened sure. that you applied uh, when you opened this restaurant? I think every, every time that you start something from, from the scratch and something new, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of things that you, you, you should learn from it. And especially this one that we introduced for the first time. Oh, we don't. We have done some arepas before, and there's some people that have done arepas before in the in the city, but there's not something like really popular. So we we start introducing the arepas and our food for the people. So we decide to have like an open space and where we can show every detail and every process uh, of our cooking to mm -hmm. the people. So uh, it's a perfect and the easiest way to to explain what we do, what we. Um, and also because we don't want to hide anything, we're very proud of what we are doing, so that's why we have an open kitchen and we, we show everything to the people. So has been uh, a challenge, as I told you, but uh, it's really, really nice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the questions that I have is, uh, it, when you're in uh, Venezuela, I would guess you have access to a lot of fresh ingredients and a lot of the ingredients that make up Venezuelan cuisine. But in Baltimore, you might not have quite as easy access to some of those things uh, was that was that a challenge just finding um, the ingredients necessary to make authentic Venezuelan food or did you have to adapt some of the recipes uh, to more easily fit what you have available in Baltimore so we did a little bit of both uh, maybe the first ingredient that we have or the main ingredient that we have in Venezuela is a sweet chili that is a part of our uh, base of all the cookings we call it uh, dulce, which means like a sweet chili mm -hmm. um, we had the opportunity to start growing that chili here like 
50 miles from, from Baltimore. So we, we grow ourselves the, our own ajidulce. So we have ajidulce the entire year. Uh, when we grow it, we preserve or dry or uh, ferment a little bit. So we have it the whole year. So in that part, it has been uh, nice. Also, we, we learn a little bit how to conserve it. But maybe the big challenge that we had since the very beginning was to do arepas without the traditional cheeses that we have in Venezuela. That's, that's a big, big issue. Mm -hmm. But we realized that we, we could do something very different without the cheese. So we, we started learning how to use different cheeses and how to transform that and give the impression that they are the most similar to what we have. So we learned how to uh, change the flavor and the texture of the cheeses that we found here. Uh, like maybe adding different things to, to macerate it or uh, add more salt and then, then we grill or, or grate it. Or, so maybe the cheeses have, has been the, have been the more uh, difficult part to adapt it. But uh, the rest, we, we to, to talk with different uh, uh, growers and farmers and, and different vendors that can offer different uh, ingredients that adapt to our flavors. For example, we have a crab cake that is, is from the bay. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very traditional in, in Maryland to have crab cakes, so we adapted to Venezuelan flavors. So the the arepa, the bread is made with sweet chili, and inside has a salad made with pineapple, hearts of palm oak, and um, green mango. The, the door flavor, those flavors are very traditional in Venezuela, not in Baltimore, but we mix with something that the people can feel like more used to them, like like we said, crab cake. So yeah. that's a, an example of what we adapted and what we played with uh, Baltimore's flavors. See, now you're making me hungry. That sounds <laughs> that sounds pretty tasty. Yeah. Uh, that that sounds pretty great. So, uh, as you were growing up and as you were learning more about cooking and learning more about cuisine, were there any chefs that you particularly looked up to and admired uh, throughout the course of your your early career? Yeah, of course. Well, my my mentor that as I told you that is Venezuelan French. Mm -hmm. She calls Eleni Barra. She's amazing, and she was maybe the the, the person who introduced me in the, in the gastronomy and teach me all the time how to be curious and how to uh, question everything. And then I had a big opportunity to work in Spain with Andoni, uh, who is a head chef of Mugaritz in San Sebastián, which has two different two star, uh, two Michelin stars. Mm -hmm. And then also working in Brazil in Sao Paulo with Alex Atala that also has a Michelin star. But also in the, in the process, I've met a lot of really nice chefs and cooks that uh, teach you all the time, not only the way of cooking, but also the way of living. And that's a really big part of life that I, I feel like you have to travel and learn other cultures. Um, it's a perfect way to feel you not Pride of what you do, you have done, and pride of yourself, but also uh, give you the opportunity to, to to be more connected with the people, learning from themselves, um, from different cultures, through the food, and also with other elements that I love, like music or literature. So I feel like um, you have to be humble all the time, and don't feel like you, you know everything, because it's not true. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, so what's, what's maybe the one piece of advice that you would give to other people who are thinking about opening a restaurant? You've been able to do it successfully multiple times now. Uh, what, what, what piece of advice, what's something that you've learned that you would pass on to, to somebody else? 
Well, there's something that is really obvious that you have to have to, um, you have to develop, which is very hard to do it, but it's, you have to develop a concept of what you really want to offer to the people, mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter that you, you, you know how to cook, but if you don't have like the whole package of the way you serve, the way you treat the people, the way also not only the customers, but uh, your whole staff, um, because you can cook amazing, you can serve amazing food, but if the people don't feel the connection when you are cooking and uh, or even with the staff or when you serve it, uh, there is a piece that is, is missing. So you have to um, feel everything. I mean, the restaurant as a, as a whole package, and, and you have to be sure that you are going to offer all your feelings that you want to, to put in the plate. Right. I, I think you can tell when you walk into a place whether or not the people that opened it uh, love what they're doing and love the yes. food that they're cooking and love what they have the opportunity to share with people. And if you don't have that love and that passion, I think that's yeah. probably that probably comes through in the food. Yeah, you feel both both parts. I mean, when you feel it, it's very obvious when you feel it in a good way and also in the bad way. Mm -hmm. when, when, when it has a connection and when it shows the feelings and when they don't. So I think it's very important that if you really want to do something and you really enjoy cooking, uh, put always that you everything that you have in yourself and trying to enjoy because it doesn't matter. It's a it's a it's a profession that you are gonna spend a lot of hours and a lot of you feel a lot of pressure. But if you don't enjoy it, it's a it's a uh, you're wasting your time. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, hey, Federico Tischler, he's the chef yeah. and owner of White Envelope Arepa Bar uh, there in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm going to have to make a trip mm -hmm. to come uh, see you sometime. Yes, you should. It sounds, you should. It sounds so good, and now I'm hungry. But, Federico, thank you so much for joining us here on the Market Scale Food and Beverage Podcast today. No, thank you so much. Huge thanks to Federico for joining the podcast today. I really enjoyed getting his insight, learning more about his story, and uh, just finding out a little bit more about him and the challenges associated with being a chef and with bringing a certain cuisine to an area that might not be as familiar with it. I, uh, I enjoyed that look. Uh, just at him and the struggle that comes along with that, but also the joy that comes along with being able to share your culture with a group of people that might not have gotten to experience it otherwise. All right, coming up next on the podcast, our correspondent Sean Heath is going to dive in and take a look at CBD oil and how it can be infused into the food and beverage industry and how restaurants can go about doing that and also dispelling some of the myths. Hey, what is this all about? Um, and maybe answering some questions that you might have along the way. So coming up next here on the Food and Beverage Podcast is going to be Sean Heath taking a look at that CBD oil topic coming up next here on the Market Scale Food and Beverage Podcast. Welcome to Market Scale Food and Beverage. I'm your host, Sean Heath. Today I'd like to talk about something that until recently you wouldn't associate with food and beverage, and that's the use of CBD oil in food. CBD, of course, the acronym for cannabidiol, the oil that is extracted from industrial-grade hemp. You have to be careful to make a distinction between CBD and THC, the psychoactive ingredient 
that's extracted from marijuana. Now, marijuana and hemp are both members of the same family, cannabis sativa, but they are not identical chemicals. There has been a recent distinction made legally, whereas CBD that is extracted from hemp is now legal, while CBD extracted from marijuana is not. And THC is the intoxicating cannabinoid, whereas CBD does not have those intoxicating effects. In 1992, Dr. Raphael Mikulam discovered the human endogenous cannabinoid system, which is a naturally occurring endocrine system in the human body. This particular system is responsible for sleep, appetite, immune response, even inflammation can all be affected directly as a part of the endocannabinoid system. CBD actually helps balance out deficiencies in that system to reduce or positively affect any of these symptoms. There are a couple of things that you need to know about CBD from the very beginning. Number one, as I mentioned, it's not psychoactive. Now, that's not an entirely true statement. It's not as psychoactive as THC, but it can be a mood-altering compound. For example, let's say someone uses a sublingual application of CBD, and as a result, they have their first pain-free day in over a year. Well, that would definitely alter their mood, and that would fit the definition of mood-altering compound. But it's not a chemically addictive experience, and it is also not an intoxicating experience that alters your faculties or your mental abilities. The new fad of CBD is the usage of this oil in food, specifically in restaurants. Now, for a short time, CBD has been available in gummies, uh, much like fruit snacks, only for adults, but not just for adults. There have been uses for CBD that have been indicated to help children with autism combat their anxiety. It is, of course, extremely popular and highly useful for cancer patients, and it has been proven to help shrink tumors and reduce the inflammation that comes along with major injuries. And the major challenge today for including CBD in food items that a restaurant might sell is it does have a a slight flavor that you would need to mask in whatever particular item you are selling, but there are products such as CBD peanut butter, uh, CBD honey. So the ability to blend this oil into a food product is already existent. It's just the legal and ethical ramifications that could come along with restaurants producing food containing CBD oil. Of course, as a restaurateur, you would also need to be aware of the serving size and the dosage equivalency monitoring. You would want to focus on the cost the licensing that you would obviously need to have to be able to sell foods containing CBD. And you would also want to be aware of any possible liabilities that you might be assuming. The most important thing that I think you need to have at the front of any decision that you would make would be, are you on what's known as a green rush and you're just trying to capitalize on a fad? Or are you genuinely trying to create a food item that has multiple benefits for an extremely wide range of customers. I'm Sean Heath, and this has been your Spotlight Focus on Food and Beverage. 
Thank you so much to Sean Heath for that look at CBD oil. I found that really informative, and I actually learned quite a bit from that uh, spotlight topic there. So thank you again to Sean for that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Food and Beverage Podcast. That is all we have time for for this episode of the show. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, there's a lot more content just like this over at the Market Scale Food and Beverage Industry page. The easiest way to get there is go to marketscale.com. Click on Industries up at the top of the page. Scroll down to Food and Beverage and click on that. There you'll find more podcasts, more written content, as well as videos and lots more stuff for you to enjoy there. So make sure to go check that out for more. We will, of course, be back with another episode of the Food and Beverage Podcast shortly. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. 